0: We live in a divorce culture. Divorce is such a hard thing, and it's a difficult subject to talk about. But in Mark 10, Jesus spoke about divorce. We need to hear what he had to say. And he said, really, the core of divorce is hardness of heart. And Jesus is going to address this so we can have illumination. That's today on Walk in Truth Radio.
1: Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Mark chapter 10, verses one through 12. Now, what was the requirement for this husband to write this writ of divorce? Well, it said in the verses that we read, He must have found some indecency in his wife. Now there was confusion about this word indecency. The word in Greek was erva. It's been translated in most of the versions that you'll read. You might have had it indecency or yours might have said uncleanness. We mostly use that word uncleanness. So indecency or uncleanness. But there's still, to this day, uncertainty over what that word really, really means. What is the indecency? What is the uncleanness? But I think that most Hebrew scholars would agree with this statement that I read in one of the commentaries. It says that the most obvious literal translation of ervat davar, now that mean, that's two words, ervat mean unclean, davar the, the word, It really means the nakedness of a word. And the obvious meaning of that would be the nakedness, meaning the shame or dishonor, because that's what it meant, uh, of one of God's words or commandments. And that was the way that they kind of looked at it. So the nakedness of a word, in other words, the shame or dishonor of one of God's commandments. Now that's different than probably what we used to think of that. It also means the nakedness of a matter or of a cause, exposing a matter, exposing a cause. I told you, you're going to have to put your thinking caps on today. Now, at the time of Jesus, it seemed that the term could mean pretty much anything. Many looked at it as sexual unfaithfulness, either in the betrothal stage. Remember, in a Jewish marriage that they were betrothed for up to a year first. It was the same as being married, except the marriage hadn't been consummated yet. And, of course, in order for that marriage to break, there would have to be a divorce or death. So either in the betrothal stage or after consummation now when you really think about it this doesn't make any sense whatsoever for it to be just the sexual infidelity why well think back and again go back to Deuteronomy in the case of sexual infidelity the punishment was death there was no need for divorce the punishment for any kind of sexual infidelity outside of that marriage was death so why would they need that to be one of the causes of divorce now let's fast-forward back to our passage this issue of what the word erva uh, meant was taken up by the rabbis and um, men who wanted to divorce their wives would basically take their case to the rabbis the rabbis at that time you know, somewhat acted like as a pastor and a counselor, but they also were the judge of many of these cases of whether the request was a legitimate request or not. So they'd take their case to the rabbis. Well, at the time of Jesus, there was two rabbinical schools of thought on this matter. One school was the Hillel uh, school, And the Hillel taught, he was the more liberal one, he said it basically means almost anything. It could be just the lack of keeping a clean home. Or it could just mean burning the dinner. That was erva, that was unclean. Now the other school was the school of Shammai. It was the stricter school. Shammai taught that it meant only sexual infidelity Probably during the betrothal stage. And if you look back at Deuteronomy 22 later on, uh, look at, and write this down for your notes. 22, 13 through 30, and that describes the trial of the virginity cloth. I would suggest that you don't do that till a little while after uh, lunch. Uh, it's not really fun to read but it also applied to adultery committed after consummation of the marriage. Now, this latter school of thought, Shammai, yes, it seems stricter, and you go, well, I think I'd be in that school, but remember, it's really curious, because why would that be the case when the death penalty was in effect? And you can find that in Deuteronomy 22, 20, and 21. Well, some scholars say that it's because the death penalty um, had been dispensed with for this offense, but that's not accurate. It's not correct. The law was still in effect. Now we know that by two situations in the New Testament that the law was still in effect. Let's think back here. Remember the woman caught in adultery. She was brought before Jesus to determine whether or not she should be what? Stoned to death so the death penalty was still in effect. Also, remember Joseph? Remember Joseph, he had an option, it seems, of putting Mary on trial. That would have been, by the way, the trial of the virginity cloth. And if she were found guilty in that trial, she would be put to death. This is what Joseph was wrestling over. Instead, he decided to put her away. That word, or term, is divorce, put her away, and he decided to do it quietly, without trial. So we see that the law was still in effect, but somewhere along the line, divorce became a second option. And it appears uh, that if sexual infidelity occurred during the betrothal period or before the consummation, that the husband not only could divorce his wife, but must, if he was not willing to put her on trial, then he must put her away with divorce. Because remember, those sexual sins were considered sin in the camp, and the law was still in effect. But remember this too. This is important. Remember that Joseph was called a righteous man in connection to his decision to put Mary away. He was called a righteous man. Now, after the marriage had been consummated, after the betrothal period ended, the marriage was consummated, um, adultery by Jewish law still demanded stoning. Now, it may be possible that one of the reasons there this second option came about was because they were under Roman rule and under Roman influence. And remember, the Romans did not want anybody else uh, putting people to death. That was their job. And so that may be the influence that allowed for this second option. Well, with all this background, now you can see how the Pharisees, by the question they were asking here in the Mark passage, were trying to force Jesus to agree with one rabbinical school over the other. Now think about that. If they could do that, then what they were doing was actually trying to get Jesus to put himself under the authority of either Hillel or Shammai. And can you imagine that? Jesus being under the authority of a human rabbi as if they knew the law better than he did? But there might have been another sinister motive to this event. Think about this. They may have been trying to get Jesus to say something against the marriage of Herod Remember, Herod married his brother's wife, Herodias, and John the Baptist spoke out against that marriage and said it was unlawful. And what happened to John? He was beheaded. It may be that they were trying to get Jesus to use that example and have the same thing happen to to him. But in either case, Jesus is not gonna be trapped here. So here's how he responds. Let's look again at Mark 10 five through nine. He says, because of the hardness of the heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Can I paraphrase here? Will you guys let me do that? Jesus is saying to these men, "You hard-hearted, I won't get you farther, you hard-hearted men. You're asking the wrong question. Let me take you back to the beginning and remind you what God's design for marriage is. And the question you should be asking me is what can I do to fulfill God's design and purpose in marriage? By the way, side note here, would you please note that it says God made them male and female and only a male and female can unite and become one flesh the way the Bible has depicted here. You see, God knew what he was doing when he designed us differently anatomically speaking now I want you to understand this Jesus is not interested in listing grounds for divorce he's interested in reminding them and us about what God's design for marriage is. and he is saying that when the two become one flesh in the context of marriage That bond is ordained by God and should not be separated. Now, that being said, did Jesus in this teaching give a grounds for divorce? Well, if we look here in the Mark account, we actually don't see that. But let's turn over to the Matthew account, same account in Matthew 19, verse 9. Matthew 19, verse 9. It says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And then if you go back to the original statement, you see, Jesus spoke about this before the Pharisees ever asked. They didn't need to ask. They knew that he had already spoken on this. Matthew 5, 31 and 32, this is Jesus' original statement on the subject, and I think this is extremely important that this is the statement he originally made before the Pharisees ever asked him anything. Verse 31, he says, "'It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife "'must give her a certificate of divorce. "'But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife "'except for marital unfaithfulness "'causes her to become an adulteress, "'and anyone who marries the divorced woman "'commits adultery.'" Well, now, what was the occasion of this statement? What was the Sermon on the Mount? And remember that Jesus was correcting many of the statements that had been made by the teachers of the law. And the teachers of the law were leading people to follow the technicalities of the law rather than following what God's heart
0: in matters really were. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. Really appreciate you tuning into the broadcast today. I'm going to tell you about a website that we have. It's a brand new website. It's called walkintruth.com. And on that website, you can find a new devotional, it's a video devotion called A Step Closer. The intention is to help you get a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. So go today to walkintruth.com, scroll down on the video devotion called A Step Closer, and our prayer is that it'll get you a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ today. So it was in
1: that group, and you remember that group, you have heard it said, or verily, verily, I say unto you, if you're a King James person, he would start each one of these, and he was gonna say, this is what you have heard, but this is what I'm going to tell you. And Jesus said things like this. If you're angry at your brother, you're guilty of murder in your heart. Wow. Jesus said things like, if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. Remember Pastor Michael taught on that last week. Did Jesus mean that literally? No, we have to study to know what he's really talking about there. And he even said this. If you look at another woman with lust, you have already committed adultery in your heart. And what does God care most about? Our heart. So look, if adultery is grounds for divorce, I would suppose that most women would already have grounds and probably some... Some men would as well. Let's look more closely at the actual statement that was being made here. See, the word for immorality in Greek is the word pornea. And it applies to all kinds of sexual sin. It doesn't just mean adultery. It means any kind of sexual sin. And it was often used for harlotry or prostitution. And I think if Jesus wanted to say that sexual immorality was the only acceptable grounds for divorce, then that's exactly what he would have said. But what he actually is saying here is if a man divorces his wife for any other reason than pornea, and we have to understand what that word means, then he is causing her to become an adulteress, and the one who marries her becomes an adulterer. The chapter 19 parallel statement says that the divorcing party is also committing adultery when he marries another. And our Mark passage includes here a woman divorcing a man, and the same consequences occur. Now, that's very interesting, because in in Jewish law, women were not allowed to divorce their husbands. Hmm. Hmm. So if you want more on that, you're going to have to get the ebook. Sorry, because it take too long to explain all that. See, here's what's happening here. These Jewish men were not just getting a divorce because maybe there was some very difficult circumstances in their marriage. That's not what was happening. They were getting divorced because they wanted to remarry and they wanted to, they found other women that they liked better and they wanted to marry. So you can see that that they obviously like the Hillel version of interpretation, didn't they? I can find something here. That's not hard, you know. Oh, man, you serve me scrambled eggs. I asked for them over hard, indecent, unclean. And it appears at the time that this practice was rampant as you study history. I've heard that one rabbi, and I won't say his name because I've been digging into it, and I heard it on a message or two, but I haven't been able to actually find it, but that one rabbi taught that If a man found another woman more beautiful or more virtuous than his current wife, that would make the current wife unclean, and therefore she would be divorceable. Wait, is that a word? I I just made that word up. It's a new word. You see, what these men were doing was exactly what the men were doing at the time of Moses and at the time that God divorced Israel. They were dealing with their wives treacherously. Now, I want you to look back here. If you would, go back to Malachi, right before the book of Matthew, easy to find, right before Matthew, the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter two, and it's the famous I hate divorce passage. But we need to read the whole passage here. Malachi 2, 13 through 16. God is speaking here. He says, this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears and with weeping and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, or it really should be yet you ask, for what reason? because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously. Though she she is your companion and your wife by covenant, but not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Does this context make that statement a little more clear to you? You see, God hates divorce because He hated the evil way men were treating their wives, the same way they had treated Him with their idolatry. And God hates all the evil that goes along with divorce. Now, the men at the time of Jesus were doing the exact same thing that these men were doing. But you know what? It was even worse because what they were trying to do, and was evidenced even by the question, what they were trying to do was make themselves appear righteous while dealing treacherously with their wives. This is what Jesus is speaking against in this passage. Now, we can see that Jesus made an obvious assumption here that the divorcing person would not be remaining celibate. Remember, the verse itself is talking about adultery in a second marriage or the remarriage. I threw out this question in the book, and I'm going to ask you, could we possibly assume one more thing that might give us a little more insight into why Jesus spoke the way he did? Could we possibly assume that Jesus, knowing these men were going to remarry, would be completely unrepentant in what they were doing. That they would be completely unrepentant of this sin before they remarried. You're going to have to wrestle with that one. As I said, Jesus was not interested in answering the question and giving a list of reasons to divorce, and you don't see it there. But he is interested in reminding all who would hear what God's plans for marriage is. So now I know what you're thinking. Then are there any biblical grounds for divorce? Not with the intent of I'm going to just dump my spouse and remarry because I don't like him. And if I did divorce on the basis of infidelity that was included here, aren't I free to remarry? Well, by what Jesus said in this passage, you certainly would not be committing adultery if that were the case. Now, the next question is, are there any other reasons that God might allow for divorce? Well, we already mentioned one in 1 Corinthians 7, 15. And this is a lot more clear to me than the other verses. Paul was answering here a lot of questions that the Corinthians had about marriage, they were really mixed up. Those poor guys, I mean, you know, a lot of them came to know Christ and then their spouse wasn't a Christian and they didn't know what to do about that. If you were a wife and you were married to a husband who wasn't a Christian and you'd come to Christ, he was still going to the temple prostitutes in his religion. And even some of the Christians were asking, was that still okay? They were really mixed up. So Paul was answering a lot of their questions and he says in 1 Corinthians seven fifteen. He tells the believers who are married to unbelievers to stay married if the unbeliever desires to stay married. That's what he says. But he adds this in verses 15 and 16. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. That word for leave, by the way, there, as I said before, is depart, go away, means divorce. If the unbelieving one divorces, let him go. The brother or sister is not under bondage In such cases, but God has called us to peace. Now, I firmly believe after studying this extensively that under bondage means that the believer is free to remarry. But then that begs another question. Well, what if a believing spouse is abandoned by one who claims to be a believer? Well, what do you think? Do you think God would be stricter on that believing victim because the other one claims to be a believer? Does that seem like God's heart to you? You see, I think Paul was just answering a very specific question here, and that's why he didn't include any other scenarios there. Well, the question is then, are there any other circumstances that God would allow a divorce? Well, the Bible does not have a list of offenses that you can look at and say, I can get a divorce and I'm still good with God. It doesn't have it. And I think there's a reason for that. I want you to think about this for a second. If there was a list in the Bible that said you can get divorced for this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, how many of us, when times get difficult, would go to that list and say, where is my ticket out? Amen? We would, because... Marriage can be hard. It can be difficult. And sometimes we feel like, man, I don't know about this. So let me go check this list out. I'm sure I can find something in here and still be good with God. You see, then we would be the ones asking the wrong question. Now, you might still be thinking, after all this, Pastor Chris, I think you're wrong. I still think that what is being said here is that pornea is the only allowable reason for divorce, and then of course you have to figure out what that word really means. And I have pastor friends that believe that and they teach that. But I will tell you this, that most of them have not taken the time to study all the scriptures concerning divorce.
0: Hey, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about a new book that has just come out that I've written. It's called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, A Revealing Look at God's Armor. What this book is really about, it's written in a devotional style, and it's written to help you, the believer, to put on the full armor of God. One of the things that the armor of God speaks of is protection. And God has provided you armor to protect you against the typical ways that the enemy attacks. You have a belt of truth because the enemy is a liar. Each piece of armor is custom made to help you in the typical ways that the enemy attacks. Each piece of armor reflects God himself. He's the God of truth. He's righteous. He's the God of peace. All the pieces of the armor point to him. And they point to his provision to you, the believer, because he loves you. The reason God wants to protect you is because he's your father. He knows about the spiritual battle. He knows about the enemy. And he knows how you can be best protected and stand strong against temptation suit up putting on the full armor of God it's now available on Amazon I want to get this book in your hands because I believe it's going to help you as a Christian to walk in strength to know how to put on the armor daily to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and to experience more victory in your Christian life right now you can get it on Amazon it's suit up by Pastor Michael Lance I would urge you to get the book today If you've been listening to Walk in Truth for a while and you're benefiting from this radio broadcast and you believe in it, then we need you to partner with us. You can do that by going to our website at walkintruth.com And check out Walk Together based upon Amos 3.3. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Well, if you agree with what we're doing, you're benefiting from it, you want others to hear about it, you can partner with us to reach more people through the radio airwaves at walkintruth.com. Help us out, partner with us today, walkintruth.com. God bless you.
1: Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.